thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Citizens, his captains, and commanders, you tune to the guard frequency. And as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 183 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever, and was recorded on Friday, September 1st, and made available for download Tuesday, September 5th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Kinjato. And I'm Ostron. And in the audio booth this week is Henry. So, what do we have in store this week, Osram? This week, we are skipping Squawk Box because of all of you. Yes, we received a lot of feedback, so we're going to jump right in and see what news from your favorite space sims has landed as we cover the path to 3.0 for Star Citizen, in Elite Dangerous, the end is near, for 2.4 beta anyway, and we take a first look at X4 Foundations. Finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let approximately all of you join in on the conversation. Well, that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's head right out onto the flight deck. 3175, Port Bay, hands on approach, trigger screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. The burndown count of blocker issues for 3.0 has moved from 67 to 94. That's the wrong way, guys. CIG did offer an explanation. During GamesCon, CIG had about 2,000 people test out the playable demo they brought with them which was largely 3.0 code. By running it through what could be considered a limited alpha test based on the old definition of alpha test, they uncovered a bunch of new bugs that needed to be recorded and dealt with. As promised last week, this week saw the debut of the Q&A for the new 600i transporter slash explorer. First order of business, the 600i is modular as we expected. The Explorer and Luxury variants are actually the same hull, with different modules attached. There are no other modules developed or planned right now. Most of the questions revolved around comparing the 600i to other already released ships. In terms of exploration, the devs said that the ship is basically Origin's answer to the Connie Aquila. The Carrick, being a dedicated explorer, will be better for long-term exploration. The 600i will also be faster in a straight line than the Connie, but won't be as maneuverable. It has two man turrets for defense, but also does not feature the point defense systems seen on the 890 Jump or Phoenix because the dev's idea was not to make this primarily for a people transporter. It's not defenseless though. Among other weapons, it has four missile racks that can hold four missiles each. As for cargo and vehicles, the Origin rover that comes with the exploration module is not the X-1 as we assumed at first, though apparently the plan is to allow both vehicles to fit at the same time, if so desired. However, one of them will have to go in the cargo bay and won't be as accessible. The A-5X will not fit, however. Either way, having any vehicles on the ship will eat into the 36 SCU of cargo space. As to why the ship lacks cargo space in general, the answer was basically to say, how much trunk space does a Lamborghini have? You don't buy a supercar to haul gear. That sentiment was the go-to answer for a lot of the questions, either partially or in total. Basically, the idea is that this is a luxury ship you buy for the prestige and because it looks cool. It's like walking into a Maserati dealership. 
If you're focused on gas mileage, trunk and passenger space, and the price tag on the window, you have the wrong motivation. Well, I think that's kind of a... I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where Origin is coming from or what their philosophy is, but it sounds to me like uh, they're doing a little ass backwards there. Well, Nuberfire had a big rant on it. You know, there are some people that really hate this whole concept of... Uh, rarity in a digital game and luxury in a digital game and things like that and charging more for something because it's supposed to be more expensive in the game this whole rp thing actually pulling on the dollars and i see his argument um at the same time it's you know if it was more expensive in the actual game this wasn't real money i doubt anybody would care they would think oh that's kind of a a neater looking shit i'm gonna spend more uh, you know, space bucks to to buy the neater looking ship. Well, the only reason we ever we actually care about this, and the reason that people are complaining, is because it's real dollars at the end of the day. I would be on the right side of that argument as well. I I think this whole ship thing for development money is. I think they need to do something like that. So onto the schedule real quick. So one of the things I mentioned last week, and I like to to refresh that, was that um, subsumption. Is com- was coming in this week, and if we saw the, sh- if we, if you look at the uh, monthly report that they also released, Subsumption was integrated this week. And as you remember, last week I said that Subsumption will probably make the bugs tip tick up. And guess what happened? The bugs ticked up. I, you know, obviously they're saying that Gamescom was was a big contributor to that, and I don't, not, I'm not saying that they're being untruthful there. I think it probably was a contributor, but I, I think also, you know, the fact that they're actually integrating that they, they didn't. They didn't feature lock this and they're just burning down bugs. They're integrating features on other branches and pulling them into this branch actively. And you can see that they're, they're transparent about it. They don't really mention it in ATV though. So it's in, if you look at the, the, the monthly report, there are another um, one, two, three, four, six, six features there that are planned integrating this week, including mission givers, the insurance claim system, the mission systems going through a whole revamp. Uh, the cockpit experience, which includes all of the pipes and panels being hooked up to stuff in the uh, in in the pipe system, uh, vehicle customization, and the comms UI system are all going in supposedly this week. And who knows what's going to be delayed there? But Mr. Ken Shadow also uh, forecasts that because they're not feature complete yet, we're probably going to see even more bug spikes going forward uh, until they are. Uh, it sounds like, you know, there's not very many things that have ETAs left on them in the list. If you look at the, the monthly report, you know, each one that's not in yet will have an ETA on it and what's being integrated. But until all of those are gone and they're just burning down the bugs, you're going to get a lot of wiggle. Our Star Citizen community question, do you think Gamescom boosted the bug count or was it because they flipped a switch on a bigger feature? Do CIG's answers about the 600i intrigue or annoy you? Let us know through our usual channels. Details coming up. Kiss your beta goodbye, Commanders. As of Monday, September 4th, a.k.a. the day before this show drops, the 2.4 Elite Dangerous open beta will become no longer open. As in closed. As in done. As in, well, we're guessing the patch is going to go live as this show appears in your favorite podcast app. Why, you ask? Well, simply because we called it. Regular listeners will recall from episode 175 where Ostron, the soothsayer, speaketh thusly. Based on the number conspiracy, I think they're going to release it on September 5th at 8 o'clock. 
958. No, no, no. Again, this is based on the conspiracy theory, but what's the number on the locked system? 22460. That's a valid base 8 number. Oh. So if you convert that back into base 10, you get 9520. <laughs> so nine, he needs like a nerd five, trophy. Five. That's awesome. He's oh. just like, oh, base 8 math, guys. Oh. Come on. Oh, that's oh, super score. Oh, that that was that, sir. Well done, sir. <laughs> My hat is off and salute, sir. That is great. September fifth at eight o'clock p.m. And I hope it's that. I hope it's that. Just because I hope they're that sort too. We are calling that's it funny. right here. Oh, now. oh, nice. You know what's even better? What's better? Sep- September fifth is a Tuesday, mm. which is traditionally when they games do release. Tuesday. Yes, release it's gotta be. It's gotta, gotta be. be. They gotta do September. So there you have it. In addition to whatever the devs intended to throw at us in terms of deadly insect overlords, some final tweaks and adjustments were made in the fourth and final beta update, such as. Improvements to the companion AI, which will hopefully bring back full engineering compatibility to third-party apps. Improvements to the chain missions. Squashed six more crash bugs. And another round of camera angle fixes targeted to VR pilots. We'd recommend especially visiting the thread regarding the new pilot's bounty and how it works with the power play system, if you're into that kind of thing. It's a challenging mental exercise to watch the devs and the players wrestle with the competing interests of the bounty hunters, the power players, the traitors, and the cold-blooded maniacal killers of noobs and scrubs. You know, the butt fedoras. It'll be interesting to see how the new uh, crime and punishment system affects things with open. I wonder if it'll just be a more friendly environment or if uh, the butt fedoras will be not really impacted by the changes. The shit buyback's probably the big thing. To get rid of the bounty, you can't kill yourself in it. Yeah, so that's going to be a great thing for people that are just hunting noobs for fun. Because you can't you can't peel off that bounty really easy anymore. Can you pay it off? You can pay it off. It'll be neat to see, uh, or it's good to see them working on bringing back companion API compatibility too. There was a big uproar when they broke that before, so I'm glad they're thinking about that with 2.4. I, mm, okay. I, I'm, I'm still an elite noob. I actually played some this week, so you guys can't harsh on me too cool. much. But I don't know what a companion AI is. What, is, what does that mean? It's the uh, the way that they make external third-party tools for Elite, like your navigation tools, different websites you can use, uh, ship builder tools. There's a lot of tools. Oh, this was, this was the... Uh, third-party API cabal thing that they said, you know, email us to get onto a mailing list or something like that, right? Yeah, hopefully they're fixing that now, so we'll see. Is this is this like an open API, or yeah. is this still a closed thing? I believe it's open. I, I hadn't heard that it was closed, but I haven't used it. I've used the tools built from it, but I haven't used the API myself. This week's Elite Dangerous Community question, was Ostron right? <laughs> Have Thargoids and Octomath taken over at Frontier? Let us know via our multitudes of comm channels. Details coming up. Credit to our listener Megazan on Reddit who pointed us in the direction of this news before Badgers found it. Egosoft has debuted an announcement trailer for the next game in their X series, X4 Foundations. For listeners not familiar with the history, this franchise holds a place in the heart of many space sim enthusiasts along with classic series like Descent and Wing Commander. Debuting in 1999 when 3D space flight had become the standard, 
The X Games drew attentions with unique gameplay elements. To start, they had a tractable, if limited, supply and demand structure to their economy in the first game. Each station in space had specific needs and would only pay top dollar if their stock was low. Second, players weren't limited to the hauling cargo or shooting bad guys to get ahead. All those commodity producing stations could actually be purchased by the player and deployed to make money. The second game came out and expanded the production economy and size of the in-game universe. It also allowed players to own and fly almost any ship they saw in-game, and have a non-zero chance of disabling and capturing most of the others. With those features, X cemented itself as the standard for space economy games. If you wanted to fly around in space and not rely on Pew Pew to make your space bucks, but still have an option every now and then, then this was the franchise for you. The universe also had enough characters and races with defined personalities to make you feel alive, even though the scripted story missions were more often described as cute but unnecessary. X3 Terran Conflict and X3 Reunion tacked on some more gameplay features, but were largely releases to provide X games that took advantage of evolving AI and graphical enhancements. The X-Series suffered from the same decline as most space sim games when interest in the genre faded. When things started to pick up again after the Star Citizen Kickstarter coup and the announcement of Elite Dangerous, Egosoft tried to capitalize on it by releasing X-Rebirth. The game was an unmitigated disaster by most accounts. On release it was very buggy, but on top of that the basic gameplay ignored some of what players considered primary draws of the earlier games. The most immediate one was that the player could only ever fly one ship. Based on the release trailer, X-Form aims to fix most of those issues while expanding the capabilities of the series. The trailer, which is linked in the show notes, has a minute or so traditional intro trailer and then there's a six minute segment with the developers talking about new features the game offers and old features that are either being brought back or enhanced. Players will once again have the opportunity to fly multiple ships personally. Also, player stations are customizable and modular. Apparently, different production and operational pieces can be connected to a central core to create a station, rather than most previous games where the entire stations were prefab. First-person interaction with the universe has also been improved. X games have had their ability to leave your ship as an avatar for a long time, but only in space. X Rebirth was the only one to allow walking around in stations. Since all the stations looked identical, it wasn't a big draw, but apparently that's what's being improved in X4. The look of the planets has received an overhaul, but X4 isn't trying to go head-to-head -head with Elite or Star Citizen in graphic fidelity. The trailer made a big deal about the teleportation system. Previous X games had a personal teleporter that lets you quickly enter a different ship, but you had to EVA to do it. Now you will theoretically be able to teleport ship to ship in space. Another new feature is that said technology, and possibly others, will need to be researched. In previous X games, acquiring newer and better technology required finding an NPC that already had it, then acquiring said tech via quest, purchase, or outright theft. Now there will be a mechanic to research new technologies instead. Finally, though there are few details here, Every aspect of the X4 economy is tied to the supply chains in various systems now. Nothing is excluded. The later X-Series games had significant portions of the economy tied to the in-game model, but it was never universal. All of this sounds very exciting, 
and based on the marketing, it is certainly setting itself up as the best option for pilots who want a fully functioning, dynamic economy with their pew-pew, and either don't want to wait for Star Citizen or don't like gaming with other people. However, caution is being advised on many fronts. Since the Star Citizen Kickstarter reignited the genre, most to all of the single-player space sim games released by major companies are considered mediocre at best or debatably space sims. As mentioned previously, Egosoft's latest attempt to add to the X-Series failed with both casual space sim fans and series devotees, reinforcing the last point and casting doubt on whether the dev team has improved their sense of what players want. Finally, the game currently has no announced release date. When we're getting a new space trading game and how good it will be are still unknowns. Still exciting though. Looks cool. I'm glad to have another entry or a, a resurgence of an entry in, back into the market here. I'm glad they're letting you fly other ships. That was such a letdown in Rebirth. I didn't even finish that game. It's the only X game I didn't finish. I've, I've spent hours in, in the X-Series games. One of the, one of the really really cool things about uh, the X-Series games that I really, really liked was all the scripting that you could do. Mm -hmm. So the mod community in this in the X-Series games has always been very huge, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what can be done uh, if they continue that. Yeah, but it was always cool when you got these huge, huge uh, fleets. And, and when I say huge fleets, you might have five or ten ships and they're all doing what you want, and you're just like sitting back managing this huge empire. You're playing a game that started as a simple uh, space sim, and now it's evolved into something that's more of uh, an economy simulation, where you can still space sim when you want to. I love the X Games for that. Yeah. I really do. They're fantastic. They definitely have one of the best senses of advancement, because you're starting out and it's like you're looking for the best trade runs for your one ship, and then... 30 hours later you're like okay i need to balance all of the different freighters i have running between my 12 stations and six different systems and you know before where you were scraping up money to buy a 30,000 credit component now you're like figuring out when you're going to cross the 30 million mark the games had a lot of longevity i think because of that aspect where your focus shifted as you went along. You weren't continually doing the same missions at the same scale. It evolved from, you know, hauling one ship's worth of cargo to controlling four ships that are all hauling cargo to managing stations with ships running between them and just evolving up from there. And there was, there was evolution in the combat as well because uh, you could trick out your own fighter and then you could start taking command of carriers and figuring out what mix of ships to put on them so it it did offer a wide variety of different play styles and about the only thing that you can level at it as solid criticism is that there's no multiplayer at all but some people don't even consider that a drawback yeah that's true i personally don't it, I, it wasn't a it wasn't a drawback. I, I, I hope they improve some of the um, I'm not saying AI but the scripting because I remember one of the things in X3 that I was doing a lot of not only setting up my my trade routes between sectors and, and you know producing energy over here to producing wheat over there and getting these routes set up uh, between them and 
but was my carrier groups and my patrol groups. I used to, I used to set these up and put you know two or three capital ships together, in patrols. But then when I checked on them later, they're all strewn out across the you know across the sector, and it's like, no guys, I want you to stay together. <laughs> you know, I didn't have too much of that happening. I had a pretty good experience working with the uh, grouping together into fleets like that. I never pushed it quite that far. The biggest I managed was a couple of capital ships. I made the mistake of, I forget what weapon it was, but those, you know those weapons that fire energy out in a widespread cone? Oh yeah. Uh, in the game? Yeah, I know which ones you're talking about, I just don't remember what they're called. Well, I accidentally, well not accidentally, I just thought it was a good idea. I loaded a bunch of those onto one of my capital ships and set it to patrol a sector. And then when I came back an hour later, I was at war with the entire faction <laughs> because friendly fire had wiped out half of their infrastructure and they were somewhat mad. That's crazy. That's great. I am not excited for multiplayer, but what I would be excited for would be group play. Can you imagine Guard Frequency getting together one night and loading up uh, X4 and just... And working through spreadsheets and talking about the economy? Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, is, it, is it private servers or what is the... No, it's not multiplayer at all. It's not... Yeah, there is no multiplayer. Okay, you got my hopes yeah. up there, Jeff. What the hell, man? <laughs> well, you know, I think it's been talked about before and they, they feel like it'll break the game, but I think that... Uh, that a land party style uh, gameplay to the to it would be beneficial, and it's been. I got the newsletter a couple of days before uh, Gamescom, but uh, I'll have to go back into the forums. I haven't visited in a while to see how the um, see how they're really progressing inside the dev stuff, and see if there's any mention of if there's any mention of that at Th all. This was an early announcement trailer, obviously, and. I mean, they didn't. They didn't even hint at a release, like time frame. Like they didn't even give a quarter or a year. So I'm thinking this is probably still at least a year out before we get anything solved. I think they're saying 2018. I I was at work during the Gamescom uh, uh, event, so I went back looking for the pre-recorded one, and the only one they had was in German. And I actually went through and watched the German event a video. Even though I didn't understand German at all, I just wanted to—I just wanted to see what was going on. So I did want to ask: Do you guys think the graphical style is going to hurt it at yeah. all? Because I noticed in the trailer they didn't seem to be updating the graphical fidelity very much. I, I think they're using new code on all graphics, but I—but my understanding is that they're going to update it. And and that's curious because I booted up X4 or X3 Rebirth and. You know, frankly, I didn't really, it didn't really not shine. I mean, it would look good. Yeah, but I think Rebirth looks better than what they're showing. It doesn't really look good to me at all. It feels like, like you guys, uh, You guys are missing the opportunity here. Uh, so they keep the graphics levels where they are, then the iPad port will be much easier. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, I can't believe you said that on our show, <laughs> iPad. I can't believe you said that. What do you guys? I got a, I got a question about X uh, series. Something that always kind of bothered me and felt limited was they had this humongous universe, but it was all connected with these gates. And the gate system, I understand the need for it. You know, years ago when this game came out, when uh, loading massive worlds like that was uh, very difficult and hardware was different, so they set up this gate system where you have to gate from sector to sector. And then the play area is 
restricted within this little field of gates. Who else feels like it's time to abandon that? In X3, remember, they got rid of the, There was only like three gates in the whole X3 universe, and they used the super highway system. After Rebirth. Because in like Terran Conflict and all that stuff, yeah. they still had, yeah. Terran, yeah, Terran Conflict. Even the highway system, I don't know. It just, it seems so low tech compared to everything else that I've ever seen in space games. It feels artificially restricted. Lots of games have that. I mean, like even Star Citizen here has wormholes. You have to go between system to system. Yeah, but they're bigger. I think the thing that I'm complaining about is the sectors in, uh, you know, the areas in the X Games always seem small to me and clumped together. I think that's more to do with the trying to maintain the World War II style space dogfighting and the economy system. Because the problem is, is if you make those sectors enormous, like, for example, the... You know, the star systems in the lead are the ones that are planned in Star Citizen. If you fill them up with something, it's probably the stations that do the economy stuff. But if those stations are ridiculously far apart, then all of the transport ships either have to move at extreme speeds, which means that you're not going to have many opportunities for dogfighting, or you're going to have an excessively slow turnaround on the economy model, which will kill one of the largest draws for this for the series gameplay. I, I don't know. I kind of almost disagree with that because I think if they were to implement a elite style universe, you know, with jumps at, with you know jump drives and and the scope of the unit, you know. I mean, us going out to resource, uh, to gather resources in these uh, other moons and planet stuff, and the space stations that are that you can, you know, build and <clears throat> gather these resources, and the fact that your your cargo haulers and will have the same kind of, you know, capacity of uh, doing these jumps, I think it would broaden the game and still maintain some realism to it. Do you think they're they're bought into this mechanic because of the lore and legacy they have with the other games? Uh, probably. I think it's familiar. Yes, I do. I think it's familiar to them, and that's what they're used to coding with. Other than that, I think if they, I I, I think that EgoSoft, I really believe in these guys. I really think if they just step back a little bit and said, hmm, how could we how could we broaden this? How can we bring it up to a you know. A level that people are talking about all over. Uh, I think that there are some things that they would probably decide to do that be diff- a little bit different. The other major limitation being planets. There's no planetary interaction at all. No planets to land on or moons to land on um, or interact with. So maybe we're spoiled with uh, Elite and things like that. And I'm going to even say No Man's Sky because um, recently it became not so horrible. But you know, you've got planets you can land on and things. And in and in the X-Series, there's just none of that, um, which always seems so strange and artificial. You'd think planetary environment and the colonies on the planets would be a much bigger part of the universe. Yeah, but again, I just don't I don't know how they model it without either destroying the immersion factor or messing up the economy modeling. There was some talk of planet landings and, and doing the planets and, and at... Uh, Especially when Terran Conflict came out, because they, you know, landing on Terra, of course, and so uh, who knows? Maybe they will consider, uh, you know, planet side stuff. Well, it sounded like they were focusing mostly on 
making these stations uh, have interactable environments on it. I don't know if, I mean, theoretically, if they're putting like first-person environments on the stations, it wouldn't be a stretch to put them on planets. Especially considering there is an environment, or a, I'm sorry, a transporter in the IP now. They do have it in-universe that they have transporters, so even if you had to go to a station to beam to an area on a planet, it would be acceptable. I also think about how commonplace procedural generation has become, and I don't think it would be that hard for them to adopt that and, and do this planet-side stuff. Yeah, it might stretch out development a little bit, but you know, I think in the in the end, I think the X series would would benefit from from that kind of uh, background. That would turn the game into a serious resource hog, though. It would, yeah. If it's modeling a huge galactic economy and procedurally generating planets, that's going to be serious <laughs> clock power. Well, maybe it's just wishful thinking, well, but that's what we want, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be fun to play anyway. The the only. The, the last criticism that I have from what I've seen, and I know it's still early, so it may be announced, is no VR support. And with them having just released X Rebirth VR Edition, um, which I haven't played because Rebirth was so terrible, and I might give this a shot because it is VR and I like VR games, but if they're, if they're doing VR in that game, why not VR in the upcoming one? Well, they didn't say it wasn't there, and remember, this is the literally the first trailer they released. I would... I would be willing to bet the releasing it for the rebirth, given how poorly that game did overall commercially, is more of a feature test. The best thing we could probably do is buy that if we're VR uh, fans and we want to see that in, in X4. Just pick up a copy of uh, X Rebirth VR and well, give it, it a may shot. It may not even be de like sales dependent. I think they're just using it as a test bed, as in like, okay, we haven't got X4 coded to the point where we can install or customize it for VR, but X Rebirth is already done. So make VR make VR work on Rebirth, and then by the time you've got that down, we we might have the X4 code done, and then we can do it over here. The X4 community question. What do you think of the systems outlined in the trailer? Do you think the new X game is exciting, meh, or not worth bothering about? Let us know where you stand. Details on how are coming up. But now it's time for news we didn't use. Tactical flight suits are now on sale in the Frontier store for the low, low price of £3 sterling or $4 if you have the access to actual money. No word if sanitary bags are being enlarged in anticipation of alien invasion. So, now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune to the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So, let's just be friendly! Some say he thinks someone keeps adding soil to his garden, and that, indeed, the plot thickens. But all we know is he's got the shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. Our recap of last week's community questions... 
First Star Citizen question, what did you think of the mission system as we saw it? Do opposing missions sound unique and emergent, or is it just going to sabotage those not interested in PvP? And what was your impression of the so-called face over IP? Is it a revolutionary system supported by a neat peripheral or an unnerving gimmick with debatably relevant hardware? What was your reaction to the Idris Comprat? The 600i? Whether you were jumping for joy or groaning, we want to know. And who's ready to die at the hands or pincers of our new insect overlords in Elite Dangerous? Did Frontier get it right with the mission tweaks? Alright, so immediate disclaimer, uh, we got a lot of feedback. A lot of the feedback had to be cut in the interest of time. Hopefully we still maintained the overall tone and intent of your message. So, getting right into it, we start with Rambus, who said, One, first live mission that will spawn after how the players do on the server. I don't care what we get, it's a big jump to get it working and it's the first step of many to come. Two, Face over IP was amazing. Getting 3D object into object containers like they do. It's just so good. Just think about it yourself, guys. Calling up a mate and he might just be in a forest and you can see that because of the background. Yeah, this is a big deal. Why? Immersion. And three, it was a demo. We'll see more of it. I wanted to see more of the damage states that the railgun left on the, quote, bad guys. Weight of the ship isn't there, a lot of changes will come, and this leads into the 600i, all numbers are subject to change. Get it if you want it, or want to support the game more. Oh yeah, if you want to compare the 600i with anything, it should be about the amount of luxury it has. The rework of the Connie Phoenix is now next, because the Cutlass Aurora Connie Aquila is done. Josh will go full ballers on the Phoenix, as he said on the town hall, so let's chill and wait. Rebel writes in and says... Great show with some interesting insights and analysis. And yes, Mr. Musk named his drone ships after culture ships. Opposing missions? So it sounds good in theory, but this implementation that was demoed has so many things wrong with it. For a start, it breaks the promise of PvP versus PvE slider functionality. Then there's the matter of power mismatches. Unless they, unless they lock out ship selections, etc., two equivalently powered ship's missions are either going to be impossible to stop or impossible to do. There's also the matter of prep time. In the demo, they went shopping, etc., so there's going to be a limited time on these missions, or do they expect the opposition to circle around the mission area ad infinium? Let's just say going down and nicking slash destroying the objective for themselves. Unless you simply queue your group for the next scheduled arena commander type battle instance, which is both immersion breaking and not to mention <laughs> face capture. That was mulled years ago. I was certainly surprised when it was demoed out of nowhere, unless you missed something on in the ATV slash updates. But it's a nice bit of tech, but I can't help worrying about how much dev time was used to integrate the Facework API into the engine and then tie the animation assets to it. It could have been weighted, and the tech would have been better in five years. He goes on to say, Idris battle. Stats has the Idris crew pegged at something like 35 each. There were 10 players in total, so say the ships were undercrewed would be an understatement, assuming there is actually 30 plus roles. There is also the fact that while a 5 plus minute time to kill would be fun in the real world, it would make an already long demo even longer so they could have reduced shields and hull points for the demo. So my summary is that while I have said something like this before, but less strongly, 
Making a AAA game can take time, and some truly superb games have taken between 7 and 11 years. Chris Roberts seems to be going the route of getting hooked on whatever new shiny thing is, and no one seems to be able to tell him no. Also, with the focus of all the ATV, etc. for the last year now being about planets, and all the antics you can do with them, this space game with stuff to do, first-person shooters has turned into an open-world FPS RPG like Witcher Stalker, where there are vehicles to take you to different planets and the odd bit of space combat to break it up a bit. So, yeah, I, I just want to mention that the whole face over IP thing. It was posted to Reddit a while back, but it was also mentioned on a wingman's hangar in 2014 or something like that. So this is a tech that, that maybe not this particular API, but, but this, this, this intention to do face mapping and, uh, you know, expression mapping has been in the, in the, the mind's eye of Star Citizen for a very long time. Well, Rebel did mention that it was discussed years ago. He was just looking for any indication that it was going to be debuted at Gamescom, which I don't think no. that was. I believe they did it as a surprise. And, and, I, and, and to one other point here on uh, Rebel's comments, you know, this whole Idris thing with 35 crew and everything, and, and, in, and in fact, all of the big ships that have all of those crew, I think that personally... That those are all extremely overinflated. I think almost any ship in the game, with the exception of like probably maybe the biggest one, are going to be pilotable and usable with just a couple of people. I think they have to be. I mean, wouldn't it be hard to coordinate thirty-five friends? Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, nobody's going to get that many people together just to get on. And that Idris, the Idris isn't as big as people think it is, right? They, oh, it's a floating level. You know, it, it holds three fighters for God's sakes, right? It's not that big. I think my cap ship in X four is twice the size. Or, you know, <laughs> I, I think I, I think most of these ships, whether you're in, you're in a corvette or a frigate. Or even even the destroyer is like max five people. I think that you're going to want to be in there on a steady basis. Maybe you have other people for flying ships out, or or maybe you really don't want to pay the NPCs to be the, the turret gunners or something like that. But I think for the most part, you know, it's it's like two or three guys, you know, or it's maybe five guys or something like that. I think a lot of people, especially in the forums, like to bump up the numbers a lot. Silent Hunter writes: Just gave the ED beta a quick whirl. Well, not exactly quick. It took a while to load. I can't say it's really much of an improvement, especially when the beta test mission that they want you to do requires an SRV, unless I'm very wrong somewhere. Colin Ford wrote in and said, Hi folks, I always give you guys a listen to keep up to date with Star Citizen news because it's nice to get unhyped and balanced coverage from somewhere. Anyway, as a response to the elite open beta question, the Pilots Federation bounties and mechanics to stop the suicide Sidewinder exploit appear to worry some diehard PvPs but the majority of players seem quite happy with them. Personally, I think the bounties need to be a bit higher. One interesting thing that Sandros Samarco has put out is that maybe players involved in power play will not receive bounties against them if they PvP against other power play players. The mission stacking was always a problem for me. They've cut it out because it's kind of considered an exploit. There is the quint system which allowed a lot of easy, highly paid, stackable missions which meant players got ships far too quickly and missed out on most of the game. However, the main issue that some people grind the missions is to get faction rank to get the special ships and permits, and this does take far too long. It took me quite a while to get my clipper, hate to think if I wanted a cutter. So I hope they up the influence gain on these missions to balance it. Anyway, keep up the good work on Star Citizen. Commander Phoenix D. Fire of the Lave Radio Podcast. 
the power play aspect of the Pilots Federation's bounties. That's cool. I think that's interesting because that, you know, a player aligns with a power play power, then they're choosing that, you know. So PvP in that instance, that makes sense. Those are factions that should be against each other. You should be attacking each other. I totally get why uh, PvP between them should be anytime you see another faction, go for it if you want to. Um, so I think that's a great thing. Uh, but the rest of it, he's right. You know, higher, higher penalties for PvP assaults, things like that. I totally agree with him. He's got a lot of good points here. Fox writes in and says, Opposing missions. If it ends up being a function of the game that makes sure players see appropriate mission difficulty, we are cool. If it's going to be throwing you into a PvP situations, that would be bad. I think Chris Roberts and Tony Z understand who the backers are and are not type to be swayed by the popularity of PvP games. PvP breaks immersion, so I expect there won't be much of it unless you go to places where it's prevalent. I thought the uh, FOIP, or FOIP, tech was cool, but I would have happily waited for Squadron 42 Chapter 2 for it. My voice changing based on what my character is wearing will be sweet and help with immersion. I've got one word for you. Featureitis. I'm not saying we don't need luxury ships ever, but don't we have a crap ton of basic ships that need put through redesign? When I originally purchased my Constellation, I, it still had upgrade slots. When I bought my Gladiator, it was described as tough and modular and a favorite of small-time salvagers, and it also had a military variant for rescue in the lore. Instead of giving us info on these things, we get luxury ship concept sales. Why? According to the Q&A, we need luxury ships in the universe. I ask, why? Well, I like my basic ships finished and at least thought all the way out and explained first. This is the first issue of Feature Creep I've seen from CIG. I am a Patreon. I have been debating on becoming a Patreon for several months now. I've enjoyed your unscripted discussions and debates the most and I've always wondered if I'm missing out by only having access to the edited version. After becoming a patron and listening to my first unedited show, I was happy I did so. <laughs> the, <laughs> the unedited recordings are, have more of your individual personalities in them and makes a whole experience better for me. I would like to thank everyone who works on Guard Frequency Podcast and I hope my contribution will help keep it going. P.S. Why upgrade to a Phoenix, Jeff? Do you want the luxury aspect or an upgraded power plant and point defense? Do you want it because of the sunroof or the space roof? I decided not to upgrade because I don't want to draw more attention to myself. <laughs> well, so, go uh, ahead. <laughs> I want it because it was the variant that first appealed to me when they first brought out the variants. And honestly, mostly at this time, at this stage of the game development and stuff, I'm mostly joking about it because early on I used I used to woe and moan about not having this upgrade available to me. So it's more of a show joke now than anything else. So uh, thanks for thanks for coming up Patreon, Fox. Yes, thank you very much. That is much. I, I guess to speak on, on on some of the things you said real quick. Yeah, I completely understand the upgrade thing. They, 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 when they decided to make some of the initial passes through some of these ships, um, everyone's familiar with what happened to the Cutlass, right? Uh, the Gladiator, like you said, is a very, uh, very keen example there. A lot of these ships ended up changing what they were. Like the description that Rob Irving and Ben Lesnick just pinned together at the last minute when the Kickstarter was happening and they had five minutes per ship to put them up or whatever the case may be. 
it ended up not being appropriate descriptions for what the team felt they actually needed out of out of the individual ships. So yeah, and and to speak on the point of the, of the luxury thing too, like we said earlier in the show, there's a lot of people arguing about whether luxury deserve, is deserved in a in a video game. Does it have anything in it? Right? What does that mean? And I don't think anybody really knows. It's the same as like the alien ships now. It's like the only reason that they're luxury is because you spent more money on them. I think. <laughs> and uh, Sean Newboy writes in ever faithfully and says, "Wonderful show, everyone." He goes on to answer our community questions, saying, interesting, massive gimmick, and very nice. Amontillado writes in, Opposing missions generated as part of an encompassing dynamic economy sounds good. Hopefully the missions are there for NPCs to take as well as players and won't always result in PvP. Faceover IP is very cool and in keeping with Chris's legacy of pushing player experiences forward. I hope text chat is not marginalized as a result. The Idris was neat to see, but I was less interested in the actual combat. 600i is very pretty, but I want to see deck plans with these concept sails, not just the exteriors. The interior is much more important to me. Cheers. Yeah, I agree with that. We didn't get enough of the 600i interior, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the deck plans on a lot of the ships would be nice to have. So Commander Acrossi writes in and says, I'm a little worried at the heavy PvP focus of the mission shown in the demo. While I still believe there will be PvE content, both solo and cooperative, it is concerning that almost all of the live content we've seen so far has been focused on PvP. I think a potential solution would be to have a flag on missions indicating hostile players present at mission site, similar to how Elite has a hostile ships may be sent after you warning on missions. For the Idris combat section, I think that, along with the railgun part, was adjusted to fit the demo's intent and isn't representative of what we can expect at release. Regarding the Elite mission changes, generally I'm in favor of the change to not have Massacre and Scan missions stack. It always felt weird that they did. That said, I think we are getting ahead of ourselves a little because we do not yet know how much these missions will be buffed in terms of payouts. If the rewards stay how they are, then it's a poor decision. Until then, let's focus on the real threat, Thargoids. And he goes on to continue on a couple of other notes. While massacre missions are more likely to spawn during a conflict, they are not dependent upon those conflicts. It's entirely possible to accept a mission for Faction C to destroy ships from Faction A, who is at war with Faction B, so you can stack Faction C and Faction A missions. The mission payout nerf listed in the patch notes were to the 11 or 12 figure missions or 150 million credit transport missions to travel 14 light years. I think we can reasonably agree those are too high. In 2.3, the reputation gains were increased by 25%, so completing a mission to rank up will take substantially less time now than it did in the past. Now that came before mission changes in 2.4, but it is something that should definitely be considered when discussing them. And I agree. I, I think this. Uh, I'm more worried about the faction increases because I know how much faction plays such a key in this stuff. So that's my real major concern. Magazine writes in and says, For the Star Citizen community question, what's your impression over the so-called face over IP? And this has been around since the 2012 EverQuest 2 SOE moat. I remember that. Yeah, I don't think their system was quite as advanced, but yeah. Subsumption AI writes in, What did you think of the mission system as we saw it? I didn't see a mission system. I saw one NPC scripted to give a very specific mission and some choreographed players attacking them. 
This was practically confirmed when the stage was reloaded and played a second time. What was your impression of the so-called face-over IP? I don't see the point of this when players are mostly flying ships and interacting with NPCs that will supposedly outnumber players. If more than 10% of the player base use it, I would be shocked. I certainly won't be zoomed in or playing first-person shooter mode. Would have preferred to see mining and other professions prototyped. What was your reaction to the Idris combat? Time to kill was two minutes, as mentioned in the podcast, but not discussed at all. Hopefully that is adjusted. Well, all this feedback has brought up some really good points that I'm forced to think about. As far as this uh, competing missions thing, you know, I'm concerned how the system's going to be implemented and presented. If it's generating PvP combat everywhere, then really I don't think this is where we need to go to do it. Yeah, I'm still on the side, though, that I think everybody is either misinterpreting or being paranoid about the way they presented it. I don't think it's going to be the case that every mission is going to have a competing counterpart that another player is going to pick up. This is obviously artificial because this is what they wanted to show off, and they have a lack of AI, especially in the FPS area. I mean, they probably have some FPS API, but AI, but I doubt they have much in 3.0 itself. Yeah, there are some valid concerns brought up about mission balancing and time over target, but then it's really a matter of how immersive do you want it to be. I mean, everybody was all excited about this being a live universe with a a heavy immersion factor. If you want that, you can't then complain about the missions being imbalanced because life is imbalanced. Yeah, uh, life is imbalanced. Period. I I I get that. Right. It's and I mean, I'm not saying that one side or the other is incorrect. It's like for some people, having a completely open, active universe where it is. Like it is possible for you to get your head completely stove in by taking a mission and the other place being overwhelming. For some people, that's really exciting and really interesting. Other people want the guarantee that it's never going to be harder than well, some. Well, yeah, we had, a, we had one side of the team drive there in the equivalent of a Jeep and the other one attack it with the equivalent of a fighter jet crossed with a Chinook, right? It's not, it was not a, right. it was not a, a, a balanced fight in any way. And I think if you, as long as the labeling is right, I mean, back to the conversation we had last week, as long as the labeling is right, then I don't think balance is a concern because... At the end of the day, you know what you're getting into, and you better try and weight it in your favor as much as possible when you go. Yeah, I think a lot of the concern is over picking up a mission and having absolutely no warning about anything coming on. And I think it's going to be a lot more obvious when there are threats like that as a possibility. I mean, if, if, if SIG doesn't have those kind of warnings, then they'll almost certainly immediately get the feedback that they should have those warnings. Yeah. Our new patron this week is Blake Parkhill. Thank you. Thank you. Random winners of this week are Krell and Christopher Trellin. And this week's community questions. Did you buy the explanation for the increase in bugs or do you think they flipped the switch on a bigger feature? Do CIG's answers about the 600i intrigue or annoy you? Was Ostron right? Have Thargoids and Octal Math taken over at Frontier? And what do you think of the systems outlined in the trailer for X4? Do you think a new X game is exciting, meh, or not worth bothering about? Drop us an email, a tweet, or comment on our show post, which you can find on our website and over on our Facebook page. So, how is the show? Were we full of believable information, or do you have a lot of worrying unanswered questions? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. 
why not leave us a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. You can also use the contact form on our website and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do. So take a minute and tell us what's on your mind, like a lot of you did this week. We like that. And that brings us to the end of episode 183 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 184 on September 12th. So be sure to keep an ear out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything on Friday nights, we know. Then you should come and join us at 10 p.m. at Central as we record Guard Frequency live over on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash guardfreak. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25 a week, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, some Guard Frequency goodies, and an invitation to our private Elite Dangerous Flight Group. We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. You can find us all over at discord.guardfrequency.com. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO to the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure and track them out over at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Our thanks go out to our community manager, Justin Shiverdine Lowmaster, our artist Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pintad, and of course, our ever-popular audio engineer, Mikey. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty long. Reduce thrust. Key audio note insert. Insert the harp in. Insert dream <laughs> harp. Insert yeah. episode one seventy five timestamp twenty seven colon dash twenty eight colon zero nine. Insert dream harp. I don't know if we had to read all of that or not. We probably <clears throat> didn't, but it's too late now. So let's just move on. I can read it again. No, I think we're good. Apparently, different production and operational pieces can be connected to a central horror... Essential... <laughs> I think we have our episode title. <laughs> I don't think I want to see the show art that would result from that. Previous X Games had a person... Peter Piper pick. All of this sounds very exciting, and based on the marketing, it is certainly setting itself up as the best option for pilots who want a fully functioning dynamic. Uh, for pilots who want a fully functioning dynamic econ.
Kin Shadow, I blame you. One of the cool things. And it I'm did. Sorry. One of the cool. Th- it, it did. No, go ahead, man. <laughs> he goes on to say, Idris battle. No, Cortana. God dang it. <laughs> <laughs> Name your phone, Idris. And he goes on to continue on a couple other notes. Cortana, knock it off. God damn it, Cortana. Random winners of this week are Carol and Christopher Trone. No, no, no. I think it's Krell. Krell. <laughs> Krell. Carol. Hi, Carol. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> you know, I, I am so bad with names. Guys, his, his name is like Krell, the destroyer of worlds. And you said... Carol, the destroyer of worlds. Exactly. <laughs> Leader of your doom. <laughs> Meanwhile, back on planet Earth, 